You're listening to the Echo Church Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at echowashington.org. So today we're starting the book of Acts. I think, you don't have to go there, but I think I've got a slide. It's called Unstoppable Facebook. And it says, to the ends of the earth. And what I love about this book is we are the continuation of Acts. One of the organizations that I desire to partner with and we're in conversations and going through um, is called Acts 29. Why is it called Acts 29? Because Acts only has 28 chapters in it. And it kind of leaves us, I don't want to jump ahead, but it kind of leaves you hanging like, what's next? There's really no resolve. And there's a reason there's no resolve because the story continues. And the story continues through you and I. And what may seem like the world can shut down, what may seem like a government with, that's, that's ruled by tyranny and an outlaw Christianity can shut us down. Let me tell you something. The spirit of God is unstoppable. God's mission is unstoppable. He can even use evil means to accomplish his goodwill. That all the travesties and the tragedies that you and I may face in this world and the world that we see at large, that one day God will redeem them all to bring glory to his name. He's unstoppable. And we are a result of that to this day. To the ends of the earth. And what I love about this is as we read through this narrative and this story of how the church started and what was happening, I'm praying that one, you'll be, in, you'll be encouraged to love God even more by how good he is. And two, that you'll see that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that even you, where you sit, where you are in this moment of your life, knowing that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it may not be what you had imagined it to be. There may be no books written about you. There may be no news stories written about you. But the moment you cross the street in your neighborhood to get to know the names of your neighbors, to begin praying for them, I think there's a chorus in heaven cheering and clapping and urging us on. The moment that you decide by the Spirit helping you because you're wrestling with flesh to choose to do the right things, a victory, right? So we celebrate even the smallest and tiniest of details knowing that we are seed planters, we are sowers, we're throwing it out and we're praying for the Lord to do something and you can do this. Kingdom of God is unstoppable. So as we start this book, today I'm only planning on going through three verses. That's a change, isn't it? I could just hammer down probably on one verse if I really wanted to. But we're going to take our time because I believe that as we journey through this book, we'll learn some great truths. Now, it's called the Acts. I'm going to do a little introduction. It's called the Acts of the Apostles because what this looks like is Jesus set apart, and we'll read here in just a minute, his 12 disciples and recommissioned them as apostles that were separate and and the Spirit fell on them in a unique way to start the church, which is what God had intended all along. 
And this is just the story of the apostles and how the church started. But some writers even think that this could be called the acts of the Holy Spirit of God through the apostles. There's even a longer title that I can't remember that we could really title this book. Because what we see is the Spirit of God at work. So let me just let a little, little bit of the cat out of the bag this morning. Jesus on his earthly ministry was empowered by the Spirit, but it was the second member of the Trinity walking this earth, healing people, loving people, convicting people, showing them the kingdom of God, doing miraculous things, empowered by the Spirit. And there's this, this switch that happens that we'll get to. I don't want to let too much out of the bag, but we'll switch, the switch happens when Jesus is ascended to heaven It's at that moment that he says, go and wait, and I'm going to send the helper. And he sends the Spirit. So there's a switch where Jesus is empowered by the Spirit in his earthly ministry to where he switches, and Jesus is ascended at the right hand of God, and he sends his Spirit to do the will of the Father. Isn't that a really cool thing? That there's this switch that happens. So I've kind of titled this the story continues in the gospel for the world. Now, let's read the first three verses. And we're going to start working through these. And primarily, this inter- I'm still going to continue with the introduction, but it has a lot to do with the first three verses. So let's pick it up in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Luke, the author of this book, writes, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Hit pause, because that's all we're going to talk about today. And you're probably thinking, three verses, this will probably be one of your shortest sermons. You can pray for that, okay? You can pray for that. I want to tell you a little bit about Luke, because I think we have to understand who was the guy writing this book, why is it important, because I think it helps us understand his writing, because he writes in the very first line, very first verse, in the first book, O Theophilus, the NIV says, in my former book, O most excellent Theophilus, and if you would flip over to Luke chapter one, you would see almost the same introductory that I felt it was good to, as much as I could, could gain and gather, to write for you an account of the life of Christ, O Theophilus. See, Luke has this two-volume work, and they both actually combine. In fact, there are 52 chapters from Luke through, through Acts 28. He is the most prolific writer of the New Testament. Over a third of the New Testament, Luke himself had, had written. More so than even Paul. You're probably asking, why is this important? Because he's sharing with you a unique perspective of the gospel of Jesus from the time it started to the time Christ ascended and to the extension of his spirit through the church. All that he knew and he wrote. We can learn a lot from St. Luke. We can learn a lot from this man. So who was Luke? Luke was the author of both of these books, Luke and Acts. 
Now, listen to this. While he is never mentioned as the author, do you know that? Most of the time, if you read the epistles, it says Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to the church in Ephesus. Or Peter would recognize himself. Luke is never mentioned as the author of either Luke or Acts. And there is much evidence that, that supports that it was Luke. Early church tradition dating back to the second century, just years after Jesus had ascended into heaven and the church had started. The early church fathers attributed these books to Luke. He's mentioned three times by the apostle Paul as his friend and travel companion. Those references you can check would be Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, and Philemon. Luke, in writing the book of Acts, used the term we on several occasions to refer to his missionary journeys with Paul. He was Paul's best bud. He was Paul's right-hand man. He is one of the most detailed and extensive writers of the New Testament. He walks us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus all the way through the church's birth and to the end of Paul's life. Luke was more than likely a Greek or a Gentile, which is evident in his writing style and name. If you look at the book of Luke, you realize it's quite different from the rest. Not quite like John, but it's very extensive, very detailed-oriented. In Colossians 4, Paul mentions those who have been helping him, and he doesn't include Luke with his Jewish helpers in verse 11, Colossians chapter 4, but in verse 14, he talks about Luke. He was a master of the Greek language and the only, listen to this, Gentile writer of the New Testament. All the rest were of Jewish backgrounds. He was also a doctor. He was a physician. In Colossians 4.14, Paul refers to him as the beloved physician. This is going to take a whole new take and it's going to be very useful for you. So hang with me. This is important. As a physician, he more than likely had, listen to this, a life of comfort. Yet he sacrificed it all for what? The service of Christ and to proclaim the gospel. In the gospel of Luke, he highlights many healings and sicknesses as a doctor naturally would do. So if you read through Luke and you understand that this man was a physician trained in helping people and being a doctor, you will see that he highlights these stories. Why? Because he naturally is inclined to help those who are sick and helpless. In fact, Joe and I were talking before service that if you read through Mark's gospel and he talks about the woman who has a, a bleeding disorder and she's healed, Mark pretty much just throws out, really Peter throws out that she spent all her money and there wasn't anyone who could help her, right? Like throwing doctors under the bus. And Luke has a slightly different take. And he says, he's basically saying, listen, they did their best. There's nothing they could do to heal her. Like he's got the physicians back, right? Because he was one and he may have been one of those who tried to help her. Now that's not explicitly in scripture, but it certainly is possible. But you see how his influence as a physician and a doctor could certainly help him be a detailed writer. He was intelligent to know and master the Greek language, that he was an assimilator of all this information because he was an historian. He was a humble man. He never mentioned himself as author, right? Like in today's day and age, in the, the age of the celebrity pastor, and we have many clips of people who can stir the crowd and can wear the $300 Jordans on their feet. There's actually, there's actually an Instagram account. There's two of them. The one is called Preachers and Sneakers. You, you, wanna, you, you, will, you will laugh at this. I have, I have followed Preachers and Sneakers. 
because they take pictures of preachers wearing sneakers that cost not just hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. You want to get me angry? When I see celebrity pastors pandering to a crowd wearing $1,000 sneakers, when there's desperate need in this world for people to get through their life, hoping to have something to eat, something to drink, a place to stay, to have their electricity put back on, and we're wearing $1,000 sneakers. It may not stir up something in you, but it wells up in anger in me. There's another Instagram probably by the same guys. And they're really clever in how they do this. It's called Profits and Watches. So I went out and bought a watch because it was on clearance for seven bucks <laughs> at Walmart. Go to the clearance section. You can probably get this very same watch. It may even mark down less than $7. Now I have to pull my phone out and then be distracted by all the things that are on my phone. I can just look at it and be like, oh, okay. Profits and Watches. J.D. Greer. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, pastor of the Summit Church. They've got multiple campuses. That church has produced more church plants and missionaries than, than hardly any church in this country. The man loves the gospel, and he loves seeing people reach with the gospel. His watch is like a $300 watch, like a, like a Casio, like a nice Casio. I thank God that his watch is only $300. Chris Tomlin's is a Casio for like $24, like the calculator one. Probably has to calculate how much money he's making off all the songs that he steals from other people on CCLI. I'm just kidding. Chris Tomlin is a gift to the church. But I see pastors that have Rolexes that cost more than my cars and everything I own combined. Talking about how God loves people yet wearing a watch that's 24 karat gold, diamond encrusted, wearing suits that cost more than my truck. That bothers me. It really bothers me. I don't think that's being a good steward. So why am I sharing this with you? Because we had a man here who, had a, who was a physician who had a life. He was much like Matthew the tax collector or Zacchaeus who was rich beyond anyone in that age, and he took it on the backs of other people. Yet when they're transformed by the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus, what do they do? They realize following Christ is their greatest treasure, and they forsake it all. Like the life of a believer is one of generosity, and it doesn't even have to be money, right? Like certainly, if God has blessed us, we are to be a blessing to others, not hoarders. We have you all, and you bless us by serving this church and serving each other and coming up early and setting things up and bringing food and bringing vegetables and all the things that you do. And I would hope and pray that our generosity, because we've been so transformed by, by Jesus, that that generosity exists outside of these walls, right? That the same way we serve each other, we're serving others because that's a message that preaches. That's a message of a life transformation, not a transformation of information. Yet Paul had, or Luke had all of this. He had a career. He, wasn't, he didn't have a career like the fishermen. 
Peter, James, John, and Andrew. He didn't have a, a career like the fishermen who, who struggled to make a living and eked it out. Yet at Jesus' word, after they'd been fishing all night, he says, go back out and cast your net over the side. And they said, Lord, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything, but at your word, we'll do it. And do you remember what happened? They caught a, a catch so big that it was sinking in their boats. This set them for life. Do you understand that? Like this, this would have made them the wealthiest fish, fishermen in the area. And Jesus says this, in the midst of this, this is like winning the lottery. And Jesus says to them, you want to come catch, catch men? You know what they do? They drop their nets. They drop their biggest catch of all this prosperity they've been praying and wanting and longing for. And the moment it happens, Jesus says, all right, now come follow me. And they drop it. I see this in the life of Luke, a physician who, was, who somehow encountered Jesus in a way that it transformed him. I mean, I'm just speculating here, but I would love to have thought that he was one of the physicians that tried to heal that woman and couldn't do it. And he was there when she was healed and he said, something's about that man. Something's different. Somehow, someway, Jesus encountered Luke and Luke trusted in Christ as Savior, which is why we have the book of Luke to begin, to begin with. That's why we have the book of Acts, because he had given up everything to follow Jesus. I guess the question that we could logically ask is, what is God asking you and I personally to give up that's keeping us from following him? Like every person sitting in these seats could have something that, that we're just not giving over to trust the Lord with. And that's going to be, be between you and the Lord. But the Lord is calling us to something greater. And Luke was a humble man who never mentioned himself, but he always pointed to the great physician, Jesus. He never talks about how he was a physician, only Paul does that. He had great potential, but he, like the apostle Paul, considered all that he had accumulated rubbish, garbage, trash, on the account of knowing Christ and being found in him. He was faithful. He was faithful. Can we talk about being faithful for a minute? What are the things that we celebrate? We had a baptism service last summer, not this past summer, the summer before. We baptized six people. Half of them are in this church, half of them are not here this morning, but a part of this church. And we celebrated. We had barbecue, we had games, we had water games, and we celebrated this new life, this, this physical, symbolic expression of us dying to ourselves to live for Christ and that all could see that Jesus is my king, right? We did this. And we celebrate that. But you know what? You know what doesn't get celebrated? It's faithfulness. Because wouldn't it be easier sometimes just to not follow the Lord? I mean, we do this in our own ways. There are times we choose not to follow him. probably daily, and we have to course correct. And there are times in our lives we choose to not follow him. And sometimes it seems like it would be easier because the life of a Christian is difficult. It's challenging because it means you have to give up things. It means that you have 
to continue be aware of your heart's desire to long for things that you think will bring you happiness and, and knowing that they never will. And even though you pursue them at the expense of your faith, Jesus is always there and he's always welcoming. And you come back to him, you're like, Lord, I'm sorry. I thought this would bring me happiness. And, and for a moment it might have, but it didn't, didn't last. And he says, it's okay. <laughs> like when I was on the cross, I died for all of those. Nothing has changed. And he welcomes us back and he loves us. But he's faithful to us. And I think one thing that we need to celebrate is faithfulness. Faithfulness of believers in their walk with Christ, knowing that it's a challenge, knowing that it's difficult, that you're going to do things that people think you are crazy to do. Like driving around town looking for homeless people. Like we, we've done that. Joe messaged me like, hey, Katie talked to, uh, to the sergeant and they bring them day-old donuts and they're back behind big boys. Actually, he said like big, big guys, big Charlies. I'm like, big boys? I'm like, big boys. I drove down there the other day. There's a factory back there and I, don't, I didn't see anybody. But like we're out scanning for these people, right? When most people don't even want to see them and they want to dismiss them and push them off. The fact that you will choose to give up something that the world is clamoring for, like when we choose not to swear. And people are like, oh, are you holier than thou? I'm like, I'm not any holier than anybody else, but I'm telling you this, I'm trying to be obedient to my Lord. Right? Or the lust of the eyes or the envy of things. And we can get down to the nitty-gritty. There are so many things. Gossiping. And God's so faithful to you and I through it all. Now, there's a book that I hand out to pastors, preachers. It's called Dangerous Calling. And guess who it's written by? The mustache man himself, Paul David Tripp. It's written just for pastors because it talks about how this calling into ministry is dangerous. And here's why he lists all these warning signs is this, is this book. And I go through it with guys. I haven't gone through it in a couple of years, but we would walk through it and we'd read through it. We'd talk about why it's so challenging. When I was in college and there's a book also called um, Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar. It's a great book. And his refrain in this book is it's not how you finish the race. It's how you start. Or it's not how you start the race. It's how you finish. Sorry, I got that backwards. It's not how you start the race. Yeah, it's not. It is how you finish, not how you start. It's not how you start the race, it's how you finish because there are a lot of seed that falls on unfertile soil and it sprouts up quick and then as soon as the worries of the world come, it wilts away. But we're planted in good soil with roots deep so that we can be faithful to the end. He says, it's not how you start the race, it's how you finish. If I started a marathon, I could come out of the gate smoking at least for about 50 yards. About 80 yards, my legs start not going as fast as my mind wants them to go, and then I do a flip. Literally, this happened at a Lincoln County Fair. Welcome to rural communities. It's on video, too. Shoes went flying. And finish well. And I'm telling you this, I want to finish this race well. That's something to celebrate. This book, Dangerous Calling, on the back, there are five endorsements. Because when you write a book, you go to other pastors, celebrity pastors that everyone knows because you want their endorsement because that will help you sell your book. And I'm not saying Paul David Tripp did this. The, the publishers of his book probably did this. But get this, five endorsements on the back of his book. 
three of those men on a book about pastoral ministry and the dangers of it and holding close to Christ and having accountability and walking with the Lord, three of those five are no longer in ministry. Warning sign. One left his large church because he was a domineering, terrible leader. And the accusations are now he tried to hire a hitman. What? One, one man has completely renounced his faith. Do you see the warning signs? But I want to hear one day, and I think you should long to hear one day, when our life is over or Christ returns, that'll look at you and I, and though it wasn't a cakewalk, and though it was a struggle, and we, and we labored, it was worth it because we'll hear those words that Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come home. Faithfulness, those who remain in the faith, who love the Lord, who aren't perfect, but long to be made perfect. When we finish this race, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we need to celebrate. And Luke was this man. He was the only one to remain with Paul until his death. Read 2 Timothy chapter 4. Like, if you read 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last letter. Like, he knows the end is in sight. He's saying, oh, into Timothy, I'm pouring my life out like a drink offering. He knew the end was near. Paul, who was before Saul, who was terrorizing Christians, throwing them in jail, standing there with holding the coats, approving of the first martyr in Acts chapter 8 of Stephen. Throwing women and children in jail ruthless, fundamentalist, terrorist on behalf of God. And then Jesus shows up and says, all of your life, I have a purpose and plan for it. And all of your training, I have a purpose and plan for it. And you know what he does? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's like, Lord, who are you? And, and Jesus blinds him. Jesus physically appeared to him and he blinded him. He says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting he fell on his knees and he repented and he believed. And now, after a life is transformed by the power and presence of Jesus Christ, you know what happens? He's no longer the fundamentalist terrorist throwing people in jail. He's the apostle of grace. The apostle of grace, of getting something we don't deserve, unmerited favor. This is the apostle Paul. And he's pouring his life out starting churches, going and seeing where the Lord's working and saying, do you know Christ? Let me share with you all through the scriptures, this all points to him, who you crucified, by the way, who we killed. And churches are started and he goes on journey after journey. He appeals to the Roman emperor and he's sitting in prison. And I can't imagine sitting in that prison knowing that all this work you started, not knowing if it would, if it would fail. He was a man. He was a human being like you and I. And I almost wonder if he just was wondering, is it going to fail? Is all my labor in vain? And he writes to Timothy to encourage his younger brother. I'm pouring my life out and he sees the end. And everyone had deserted him. Some had left for ministry and he probably moved them out because he knew that if you were, you, you said Lord Jesus is the same term you would say for Caesar. And you're saying I have a different king. And at that time there was only one king and it was Caesar. 
in the city of all cities, in the eternal city, in, in Rome. And he says that some had left, and he says some have departed. And you know the only one to stay with Paul? is Luke. He was in it. He was in it for the long haul. He was faithful to the end. He was probably nursing Paul and taking care of Paul. I imagine how much wisdom he soaked up. I wish there were more books written by Luke because he sat with Paul who God used mightily. He was faithful. He was a true friend. He was an evangelist. You know what an evangelist is? Ephesians 4 talks about this. An evangelist is someone who shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether from the pulpit, the pew, or the neighborhood, or the couch, or the living room, the store. Luke shared the good news. He was a historian. He sought out people. He knew Mark because he traveled with Mark. And I'm sure he picked all the apostles' brains as much as he could. I want to know everything about Jesus. Tell me your stories. And he compiled it all. And then that's what we have the Gospel of Luke. And it's so detailed. He was a physician. He was a pastor. He was a missionary, a companion, a brother, and a theologian. Man, wouldn't it be nice if those could be said about us? What a faithful witness of Christ to the end. You were a good friend. You were a good brother and sister. You shared the good news. You shared your life. His goal and purpose in writing the gospel was to write exact truth concerning Jesus Christ and the way to be saved. He wanted to write an infallible history and theology inspired by the Spirit. And with God's guidance, that's what he did. It wasn't just a man writing. It was God divinely appointing this man to seek this truth out and for God to pour it out through him. The bottom line about Luke is he was all about Jesus and nothing else. Did you learn anything? I learned. There's more. There's more left out. Luke, what an amazing man. What a beautiful example. What a faithful witness. What a lover of Jesus. We can learn a lot from Luke. So he wrote his first book, Luke, and he wrote to this guy named Theophilus. I tend to think this was actually a man. I think this is a common name. And if you break this word into two Greek words, theo and phileo, it means lover of God or loved by God. Not a beautiful name. I think I'm going to rename some of my kids. No, no more. No more kids. In his first book, which was Luke, he wrote to this man named Theophis, his lover of God, what most theologians expect and think this was was an actual man, although some would say it's just the name. I think it was actually a man too. And I think it was a really rich man who wanted to know about Christ. And guess what? He hired Luke and funded his journeys and even may have funded Paul's journeys to, to go and research all this information to write an account for the almost oh, excellent Theophilus so that you may know Jesus Christ. And he compiled this and he wrote it for Theophilus. And then after the, the whole life of Christ is over on this earth, he thinks it's good to write a second volume. Let me, let me show you how the spirit of Christ in the spirit of his people 
Let me show you how this all plays out. And so this is who Theophilus is. And the beautiful thing is that God used a man to fund Luke, to fund Paul, to give us the word which we have today. What a coincidence, right? Or what a divinely orchestrated plan that only God could do. Beautiful. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke is the life of Christ. He says, until the day when he was taken up, which we'll get to next week, after he had given, listen to this, commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, here's the thing about being a disciple, because at Echo Church, what we desire for you is to be a fully devoted disciple of Christ. Just like Luke, that will learn to love him, learn to give up the things that we hold so precious to follow him. We want you, I desire for you and myself to to grow in on how we follow Christ, to be a disciple of Jesus. But one of those things that it requires for us to do, listen to this, is to obey his commands. That's a hard one, isn't it? You remember in Matthew chapter 28, if you don't, I'll remind you, this is the Great Commission. It, what's really unique, can I just sh- share this with you? Matthew 28, what's really unique is we skip over verse 16, but it's an absolute mistake to skip over 16. Matthew 28, verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples, because we all know what happened to Jesus, went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. They're following Christ. And when they saw him, listen to this, this is key, they worshipped him, but some doubted. The risen, resurrected Christ, who they did not see coming. They thought he was someone else. They thought their lives were over. They're in the upper room trying to deliberate, what do we do next? We're hiding away because our lives are in danger because they killed our, our guy. Jesus appears to them, tells them to go to the mountain to which they went, and then they see him, see him, touch him, feel him. And they worship him, but some doubt it. That's good news for you because I know that we sit in this room and we have our doubts at times. Guess what? You're in good company because even the disciples who saw the risen Christ doubted whether this was real. This is important because it helps us in the verses to follow. But then he says this, and Jesus came and said to them, listen, all authority, all of it, all means all, not some, in heaven and on earth, this is a picture for, for, for everything, not just these specific areas, has been given to me. Jesus holds all authority. He says, go, therefore. Because authority rests in Christ and not us, we go on his behalf. As you go is what the word means. So wherever you walk, you bring the aroma of Christ. And for those who God is saving, it's the aroma of life. And for those who do not accept it, it's the aroma of death. You have an aroma, a salt, a light about you because you're in Christ and you're following him. He says, go therefore as you go and make disciples of all nations. There's no one outside the kingdom of God. No social status, no economic status, no color, no race, no gender. No one is outside the love of Christ. Go to all nations, listen to this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
But listen to this. He says, teaching them, right? So go share Christ, the good news. When they accept the good news, the natural progression is we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then here's, what's, here's the step of disciples. Like baptism, baptism is the first step of discipleship. If you have not been baptized, then we need to, to work through this. And then the next steps of discipleship is, listen to this, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And I'll be with you to the very ends of the age. You see, when Jesus gave commands, it was not because he was lording it over, although he has every right to. It's because following Christ, there's no greater thing to do. There's no greater way in life. To submit to a father who knows your best interests is far better than to figure things out on your own and fail and struggle and hurt. So the life of a disciple is one that listens to the commands of Scripture, that listens to the commands of Christ to obey them. We're people that obey. Jesus said, if you love me in John 15, you will what? Obey me. We don't have the right to judge whether or not someone's saved, but I can guarantee you this, you can see fruit in someone's life. And the fruit tells you where the tree's rooted. And if the fruit is rotten or there is no fruit, we can make a logical jump to understand maybe the Spirit of God isn't at work in their life. Now, I don't know their salvation, but I want to see fruit in our lives. And the fruit comes from repentance and obedience to Jesus. The big churchy word that we call, that we walk through this is called sanctification as the Spirit of God through the church, through His Word, works in us to be obedient. But it was important to Christ to tell us to obey him because it's good for us. Verse three, he says, he presented himself, we're gonna end with this verse, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering, the cross, right? And all that led up to it, the Passion Week. He presented himself to them after his suffering by, check this out, many proofs. Much evidence support the resurrection of Christ and the life of Christ. Many proofs. Not just that here, I'm alive, but through many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. If you look in this world, you see there are many proofs of the resurrected Christ. In fact, there are some atheist scientists that even recognize that there are, there's information and facts that support the resurrection of Christ. Am I trying to give you an apologetic up here? I'm not. But I'm telling you, Jesus himself provided proofs because we need to know that there are proofs that not only God exists, but that Jesus was who he says he was and that he rose from the grave. And he did. He appeared for them for 40 days. Does 40 days sound familiar to anyone who's read their Bible? Right? Like, when the, the Israelites were in the wilderness, 40 years, right? Jesus, Elijah on Mount Horeb, he, he was there for 40 days. I'm not saying, I'm not a numerologist, but I'm saying that it's interesting that there would be these 40 days. When Jesus went into the wilderness himself to be tempted, led by the Spirit, 40 days. 
And after his resurrection, which is why we celebrate Easter seven weeks before Pentecost, because Jesus was, was raised, he, prov- he, he walked with them for 40 days. And it talks about appearing, coming and going, and he would show them and, and, and build their faith to say he is who he is because it came to the point where their life was on the line and not one shot away from dying for Christ because they saw him and they believed in him. And then 40 days plus a week leads us to Pentecost. You know what Penta means? Five. Pentecost is 50 days after this festival, Passover, and now for us, it's the start of the church. It's weird how things just line up sometimes, isn't it? Or maybe it's not. Maybe it's not so weird. And then Jesus, we're ending with this, spoke about the kingdom of God. My prayer is that in our lips and in our lives, that the kingdom of God exists here and now, invisible and physical, but not fully, because we are a part of this Acts church. We are a part of the kingdom that was established 2,000 years ago. It exists here. And we live for all kinds of kingdoms, right? Like, I live for the kingdom at 701 Deerfield Court. It's my kingdom. Somewhat falling apart, holes in the wall. And it's not really my kingdom. It's the bank's kingdom. But, but we can live for our kingdoms, Right? Sometimes our kingdoms revolve around four wheels on the ground. Sometimes our kingdoms revolve around work. Sometimes our kingdoms revolve around politics and our country and this world. And I've seen many people get mixed up, the kingdom of God for their kingdom. And I think it would do us all well if we were kingdom-minded people of the kingdom of God, the eternal, lasting kingdom. Like, you know what I love about how the Spirit of God works through his people? Is that just like Abraham was raised up to bless all the nations of which you sit of a blessing of that promise, that you too are called to be a part of that blessing. What do I mean by that? I mean that in Christ, being transformed by Christ, you're not just living for yourself, you're living for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this country or this state or this county. Not the kingdom of the homes that we live in or the, the, the lives that we have, but we're, we're to be kingdom workers and kingdom-minded of the kingdom of God. It's very subversive, right? This undercurrent that no one quite technically sees. Do you know how I believe our country would be changed? And I don't just pray that our country would be changed. I believe that the world would be changed. But you know how it changes? By God transforming the hearts and lives of people. Do I pray for those in governing roles? And should we? Yes. But I'm praying for the people of God to be transformed by the Spirit of God. And as the outworkings of that Spirit in their lives, the kingdom of God will manifest here in this earth. That's why the church loves the lost and the lonely and the broken and the far off. That's why the kingdom of God is the, the banquet table where no one who has, doesn't have time to come, then you're bringing in the people off the streets, the people whose lives are a mess, and we're bringing them to sit at the table of which they feel like they don't deserve, but God says, yes, you do. All 
our heart, but it starts in our hearts and lives. And Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God. Like we should speak about the kingdom of God, how beautiful it is, how great it is to be a part of this kingdom. And this is Acts. This is the Acts of the Apostles through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's our intro. You know what we go next week? We talk about uh, being patient, waiting. Not, that's not a good one for me. <laughs> and we're talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Triggered. <laughs> Man, isn't God good? He could align all these details to use a guy like Luke. What a testimony of a faith in Christ. One that I look at now and I'm like, oh, Lord, make me like Christ. But help me to remember to be kind of like Luke too. Because, man, he loved Jesus. And he wanted to see the kingdom flourish. And that's the beginning of Acts, the kingdom of God. Let's pray. And next week, we're going to go through verse by verse. We're going to learn together about this amazing journey, this unstoppable church, this unstoppable force. And as we pray, we're going to move into a time of communion. We ran out of communion, or, or uh, grape juice. We have cran grape, still of the vine, in the bog. Church planning problems. So, I'm going to pray. Joe's going to come up and he's going to kind of lead you through why we take communion. And so what I'm going to say is as I, as I pray, um, Bill, would you hand that communion to everyone? And if you want to take it, uh, if, if, you're, if you're not in Christ, don't take it. If you're not sure, then just let it pass. We do this every week. But Joe's going to, or Bill's going to pass it out. Um, and as he passed out, hold on to it. Joe's going to lead you through why we take this. And we'll take this together as a family. And then we'll worship. And we'll respond to God's goodness. Let's pray and uh, continue in worship. God, thank you for... Or thank you for Luke. This man who thought not much of himself. Although he had much to be proud of. Much to live for. Who considered living for Christ greater than anything he could accomplish, Lord. What a faithful friend he was to Paul and, Lord, to you. And I pray that you would help us, help me to be as faithful as Luke is, to love you, to serve you, to investigate you, to share, to help, to heal, to serve. Lord, we believe that your church didn't stop at Acts 28, but we're evidence of its moving in power today. Or give us a heart that longs to follow you in obedience and longs to make the kingdom of God appear on this earth, appear at our work, appear where we play, appear in our neighborhoods. 
Lord, Franklin County desperately needs to see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light move. And we know we're not in this alone. We know that there are churches surrounding this county. Lord, I pray that your church, all of them, would be salt and light for those who long to know you and to be known by you. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.